Now this morning as we turn our attention to God's Word, I'm going to ask you to join me once again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we take up the next section of uh, this chapter, verses 12 to 15 today we'll be looking at, really looking at what I've titled Requests regard and responsibilities as we kind of look at the flow of this passage. So let me read this section of scripture, then we will pray and we'll ask God to help us to understand what it means and and kind of how that applies in our own lives. Listen as I read God's word, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one returns evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you even in this time as we prepare to hear your word uh, preached. We always look to you, God, because we really desire that in this time, as your word has been read and as your word is opened and explained and unfolded, that you would help this, Lord, to be a fruitful time for our whole man. That, God, you would give us a clear understanding of what this passage means, what it says, how we are to understand it. That our minds would lay hold of it completely. But further, Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to press it much beyond our minds, uh, deep to the very uh, seat of our soul and our hearts. That we would not only hear these things with our ears, but we would become doers of these things. Lord, we know that your word is given to us in order to... Uh, change the way that we perceive things, change the way that we think, change the way that we believe, change the way that we behave. Lord, we want always that your word, by the power of your spirit, would hold sway within us, that it would be a, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that, Lord, we would readily abandon our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own direction and our own inclinations. And that we would lovingly hear your word with a desire to please you by bringing it to bear in our own lives. Lord, work these things in us again today. I ask that you would grant for me to be able to speak faithfully and clearly this section of your word this morning. And that as always, you would be pleased um, to grant all of us to give a good hearing, enable us with attentiveness and work in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Today we take up a slightly smaller section uh, out of this, but I I don't want to try to press too much into uh, the way things unfold. So piece by piece, we'll look at this. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to 15. Now it begins with this, and I want to draw your attention to this by way of uh, the first thought. This begins with what I would call authoritative requests. Whenever an apostle issues a request, it's not the same thing as when somebody else issues that request. When an apostle in an epistle, right, those in a letter to the churches, writes something and says, I ask you 
to do this. More than that, they often combine in there. Not only do I ask you, I urge you to do this. Those really shouldn't be considered simply suggestive. Because of their role, really as Christ the cornerstone and the church then being built on the foundation the apostles and prophets, we know that their, their foundational role, them being specifically granted to be those unique eyewitnesses, that it's the scripture tells us in John chapter 14 through 16, that the spirit would come to them, bring them remembrance of all the things Jesus spoke while he was with them and guide them into all truth. That's why when we take up our scriptures, we are in a blessed place. Because we know what we have given to us from the apostles is all truth. Jesus promised that to the apostles. He's given us that. And in the scriptures, that's why even Jesus in John 17 can be praying to the Father and say, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And so what we have, and this, this is so helpful for us, really, because do people get into arguments about what we ought to believe? Yes! Do people get into discussions as to what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable and unacceptable? People will uh, appeal to so many different things as sources of authority, right? The appeals court, the Supreme Court upheld this. Even if the Supreme Court were to uphold particular actions and behaviors and marriages as appropriate, what the Bible calls sin remains sin. It's not adjustable according to the seasons. It is the word of truth. And so we recognize this, and I want us to always remember this, when the apostle comes in and asks and urges certain things to the church in Thessalonica, we don't get to sit back and say, shame on them for not doing that. They should have stepped up and think somehow we're in a separate category. We're not. These these things were written down, even the Old Testament and the New Testament, they were written down for those who were the immediate hearers, but the scriptures remind us regularly that they were written down for us on whom the end of the ages have fallen. And so the relevance, the pertinence, uh, the value, the necessity of scripture, absolutely crucial. When people think that they sometimes, and when, when ideas are proposed, that we need to somehow make the church or churches more relevant. And the way to do that is to move away from the scriptures and to get a pulse on what is deemed interesting and entertaining by the culture. We have just failed. We must not do this. And, and, and that's not going to appeal to God's people anyways. I remember reading an article years ago where an author was struggling with what he was seeing going on in the churches. And he says, uh, our, is our goal to feed the sheeps or to amuse the goats? What are we doing? 
yeah, maybe we can get more people around, but just sheer people means nothing. Uh, in the kingdom of God, you will have wheat and tares, weeds, growing up side by side. And sometimes you won't know who's who until the day of the harvest. But I will tell you this, if you, if you make central and unwavering and unashamed the truth of God's word, people who have different passions, they're not going to go. They're going to say, no, I'm not interested in that. It's been interesting after, after the years overseas, uh, uh, coming back to America and, and sort, of, sort of seeing and assessing how church is done in America, and even particularly in the South, which is where I'm not originally from, uh, it's interesting for me to, to hear so many people talk about things like, um, yeah, that church I visited, you know, they don't have a choir and they don't have, and I'm like, well, how many New Testament churches had a choir? I mean, how much instruction do we have in the New Testament to the choir or regarding choirs or choir leaders or directors or anything? None. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with choirs. We, singing and using that gift in the service of the Lord and to for the edification and encouragements of the saints is good. And it's, it's wonderful for us to do what we can do. But I sometimes wonder what's going around and what's going on. Uh, this area, Marshall, is to some extent also a university community. There's a university and students come into that university. They come from all over the place and they get here. And I've spoken with a number of them, e even in their opening day. And they get here and their plan is to go church shopping. Now I ask you if that, uh, clearly that's not the best language we could use. But we understand the principle. We're going to look at a few different places and then see where we like it you know now honestly i'm generally not going to say this look for the church you like least and go there now that that would make no sense at all either but there might come a time where we ought to begin to test our hearts and say are the things that i like the things that I am supposed to be valuing. Is my heart and understanding of, of what church is and what church to do, is it shaped by, by, by my own likes and dislikes and, and practical desires? Is, is it shaped, shaped maybe to an extent by my childhood experience, the baggage that I bring with it? What affects it? And may I search the scriptures to see the things that the scripture says, this is what a church is to be about, and this is what a church is to be doing, and that's where I've got to be, in a place where those things are committed. And so in, the, in that sense, we see this, and we long to see that God would be pleased to stir this up more and more. When the scriptures say something, the ministers say it. I'm going to go further. And the saints say it to one another. That's an important step that tragically gets lost. It, this life, 
this work, this ministry, it's all together. It is as, as, as a community of saints that we would seek to make an impact. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he said this, Finally then, brothers, now some people might look at that and say, How dare he in chapter 4 say finally, when there's going to be a whole other chapter after that. But that's the way it works. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Just to give you some scope in which they ask and urge the apostolic authority of demand and request. These are what are authoritative requests. They're not in my name. They're not in the name of sweetness and niceness and love, which is not a bad thing. They shouldn't also be in the name of anger and vindictiveness and brutality. But what is it? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say what we say by His authority. And we do what we do for His name. I mean, I, I mean this is one of the passions that we want to begin to see stirred up. What is the goal and the desire and the heart of a church? I would dare say if time goes by and the church talks more about the activities, the organization, even the name of the church, if those things are talked about more than Christ, we've missed it. Because the church really is supposed to be founded upon Christ as the chief, chief cornerstone. You know, and so when people go out, the, the hope and desire, even in, in the context of preaching and teaching, is not, ought not ever be that people go out and say, that was, that was a good uh, sermon. That was a good message. Actually, I'm convinced that if it really, really was good in the deepest and truest senses, people won't so much be talking about the sermon, but about the things that were in the sermon. What a great God we have. Isn't he merciful? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he glorious? What a tremendous responsibility we have as his people. May God help us to step up and do what we're called to do. Where, where the content of it begins to hold powerful sway in our hearts and minds and life. And not just the event. There's more, there's got to be, don't you sometimes feel there's got to be more to life and church than just the event and the occasions and the meetings. But there is a real life, an organic and vital connection to Christ and to one another that is passionate for promoting in one another's lives what brings him glory, what draws one another near to him. We long for that. When we come down to this passage, he begins again by saying in verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12, we ask you, brothers, and then in verse 14 of chapter 5, we urge you, brothers. So there he spread it out, but that same idea. We ask, we urge. For those who are carrying, holding more traditional translations, you may see there, we beseech you. Request demand he comes to them now listen does the apostle have the right to where he could come in and say listen i command this like 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 my father would often say to me i'm not asking you 
I'm telling you. And I knew exactly what he meant. There's going to be no discussion, and there's to be no more delay. I need to do what he's telling me to do. <laughs> because when he said that, I knew there were, there were consequences. Now, remember, the scriptures say things like this. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 2, he had said this earlier. We don't, verse 6, we don't seek the glory that's from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands on you as an apostle. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Being so, being so affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you've become very dear to us. That's why we're getting the language of we ask and we urge. Because it's an expression of love. And here's, here's part of the fact. When you're dealing with believers... And you're, you're telling them the things that honor God and serve Him. Should I really have to issue strong commands? You better do this. You be should I have to do that? No, because there should be a real desire in my heart and in each of our hearts to, we want to do this. So I'm, I'm asking you this. I'm drawing this to your mind. It's being stated with, with, an, with a sense of urgency, with a sense of love, but it carries with it that authority in Christ. But it's done with love, and it's done with gentleness. So let us never take the gentleness of the apostles' instruction at times to be merely suggestive. Let us take nothing in the Scriptures to be merely suggestive. Whatever it says, it says. And it's true. Whether it's easy to do or hard to do. Whether it's easy to understand or hard to understand. Whether it's easy to believe or hard to believe. Easy to apply or hard to apply. Whatever it is, if it says it, yes and amen. Yes and I believe. Yes and by the grace of God and with his help, I will. Which that always has to be there, doesn't it, with regarding to living it out and applying it. So uh, the first thing that we see in this is that the scriptures are structured with authoritative requests. And it needs to be so. We are not, culture does not, is not to conform us. Even so much so, the scripture goes on to say, do not be conformed to the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How are our minds renewed? In the knowledge of Him as revealed through the Scripture. And so we take these authoritative commands and they are wonderful. And we say, even as I was discussing with someone today, uh, the Scriptures, sometimes people will look at certain groups and say, you know, your approach is just too intellectual. And... I don't know if that would be an appropriate comment, and here's why. If someone's approach is only intellectual, that's unhealthy. But how can there be too much of a, I want to know, to really know and accurately understand what it says. It's only too much intellectual if it's only intellectual. But if it is because I want to know, because it reveals God. I want to know Him. I want to know what's pleasing to Him because I want to please Him. 
when it is combined with a genuine sincerity of soul, a passion of heart, and a pursuit of the mind, healthy. Where we want to love the Lord our God with all, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can't dump the mind. And into maybe certain environments we need to say, you can't dump the heart and the soul for just talk. It's all got to be there. But in my experience in, in dealing with the scriptures, nothing so invigorates the heart and the soul and the life to loving actions vividly, vibrantly, and genuinely than the love of the mind. The more we know, the more we love. The more we understand the salvation is ours, the more we stand in awe. The more we understand how glorious our God is, the more we are humbled. The more, the more our minds are enlarged in accord with the word, the more our hearts are engorged. It's glorious. We can't fill them with anything else. And so, within this passage, we see the theme of authoritative requests, and I focus on that. And now we go into the second idea here, and we see what I would call appropriate regard. Now, this section is, uh, or should be, a little uncomfortable for a pastor to preach because it's calling on people to hold them in high esteem. You know, which can be uncomfortable, but that, that, that's a wonderful test. Will I go ahead and preach the things that are also uncomfortable? Now, again, there are men on the other side who are going to be like, I love this passage. This is coming up every month. I'm going back to this one. Now, that can be unhealthy too, because then the passage isn't maybe about the word, but about how that particular word seems to practically benefit me, so i got to keep making that one come around. Well, no, but I, I, it's important to... There are things laced in here that I don't want us to miss, and all of God's word is profitable, so we get it all. But I probably won't spend most of our time on this point. The idea here where it says, actually where it says in the ESV, um, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Uh, the old King James there actually says this, to know them, to know those who respect. Now that's because that is the, that is the, um, it's a very many nuanced word in the Greek. And here it's also kind of a, a Hebrewism. It is, is know their circumstances, know their responsibilities, know their trials, know their demands, and have regard for that. When approached rightly, it is a difficult task. Now, this is a confusing thing, and, and, and sometimes it doesn't even work in our modern environment because leadership within the context of a church is, is a career path for some rather than necessarily a calling. 
And oftentimes, not because ultimately a calling should be as a, as a church is, is seeing a young man or seeing a man among their midst and they see the grace of God in their life. They see the maturities. They see the passion as they give them opportunities and they see a gifting. They ought to be able to say, you know, do, do you sense a calling to this? Because we can see God working in you something that would be so useful in service to the ministry of the church. But that's not always how it happens these days. Sometimes it happens. I just always wanted to be a pastor. What, what, what did that mean to you? I don't know. I know, for example, I, I'm aware of many that I had gone to, uh, to college with who, who would tell me this. Uh, I would say, you know, what's your major? Youth ministry. Now, I'm not saying this is true about all youth ministers, but some of them, I would say, well, why youth ministry? I said, are you kidding? Sunday mornings, one night a week, full-time pay. And most of the time, the weekend work is beach days, six flags. I mean, come on. What better job could I get than youth ministry? Now, I want to make it clear, not all youth ministers are that way. So don't characterize it. I'm saying particular ones I spoke to, they looked at it in that way. That's a misunderstanding of it. And did, did you know that apparently one out of every ten men who go into pastoral ministry will not end up retiring in pastoral ministry? Because on this side of it, sometimes they think, it's just a little bit. On the other side, it's too much. And they get out. Uh, it, I was reading something recently, and it's, all, you're all, it's always a challenge when you're looking at statistics and details, but these were statistics that were gathered by uh, George Barna and his group and Fuller out there that do a lot of statistical analysis of things that happen in churches. They were saying things such as this. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. That's an unhealthy number. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but have no other way of making a living. That's scary, isn't it? 80% of pastors' spouses wish their spouse would choose another profession. Those are unhealthy numbers, and I can only hope uh, that the sample size was inadequate and that the numbers are faulty. But if that's the case, that's bad. But part of the challenge, of course, uh, ultimately, is the responsibility uh, that such men are called to. It says this, for example, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Let me read this passage for you. Hebrews 13, 17. It says there, the ESV says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Leaders love that verse, even though that's not really the sense of it. The term there is not purely obey. The term that's translated obey is a term that is this. Put confidence in, trust in, listen to your leaders. Then it says to submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now, this is, this is something, again, things start to stir. They are keeping watch over your souls. We need to pray. We need to pray for churches at large. Because generally speaking, do churches expect 
the pastors to keep watch over their soul? Do they even want them to? Get out of my business. My soul is my business. You just make sure that the pews are filled. You just make sure that the programs are going on. You just make, you, you attend to whatever it may be. The organization. You attend to the finances. You attend to, you know, you be lead pastor, Christian CEO. You be that from a distance. You know, we do want a smile and a congenial handshake from time to time, but don't you dare domineer my life. Now, should they domineer the life anyways? No, but there is supposed to be a watch care over the souls. You know? And this is where we start to get into concerns. How do we accomplish that in some of the modern structures? Gather a thousand people on a Sunday into a building. How, how is watch care over their souls going to That's why a lot of people like that. <laughs> Nobody knows what's going on. They, have to, they provide watch care over your souls. And it says, those, as to those to whom, as those who will have to give an account. Do you understand that? And this is, this is part of the challenge. I mean, I know I'm looking at this. There's a certain way that this passage demands that people are to be towards those in that position. But those in that position only rightly warrant and deserve that when they are living out that position. And living out that position means that they, there is an understanding, I have a responsibility before God for what's going on in the hearts and minds of, of, of the people that God, the flock that God has entrusted to me. That's the way it's stated in Acts chapter 20. Shepherd the flock that God has entrusted that the Holy Spirit has entrusted to you. So here's the idea. You know, we get the thought that the pastor's job is the sermon, the message, this and that. Hopefully the design of the sermon is not just to impress and inspire, but to genuinely instruct and transform. Where, where you know... You see the, the passion of Paul, how he says that he would warn them. I did not cease to warn you day and night with tears. Where, not, not, that, not that you'll know where, where a pastor's heart is by how many tears he sheds. No, different men have different personalities and there's a different expression of it. It's not always going to be the same. But what's it all about? Why are we doing this church? And he goes on to say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. If he, so rightly speaking, this would be why it's discouraging. Loving, giving, pouring the word into people, and yet they're caught up in work and they're caught up in good things. Work, family. Do you know even good things like work and family can become a priority? over Christ in people's lives? Instead of, instead of the stewardship, the great responsibility and stewardship in family given to us by Christ, we can sort of uh, turn things around, can't we? It, it happens. And we've got, to, we've got to make sure that, no, Christ is, is the head of our home, that we raise our children in the instruction, the nourishment and admonition of the Lord, that they even understand, look, 
Christ is first. The way that Jesus had said it that made it uncomfortable even for those listening then is whoever loves father and mother more than me or loves son or daughter, yea, even his own life more than me cannot be my disciple. That's such strong language. Uh, what do you mean cannot be? They're not. It, 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 if the passion and love isn't first and foremost for him, it's not real. You might have a moral home growing up in a Christianized culture, but there's more than that. God is God. Christ is Christ. All of this is true. And we must press on and live for this and live for him. And so this appropriate regard, again, it is, to, it is to respect, it is to know, it is to understand, to think of and remember. It goes on in the next verse, there, still there in uh, verse 13 then of 1 Thessalonians 5, to esteem them very highly because of their work. It's important to note that on the basis of their work that you esteem them very highly. Now, that what are they doing? They are, they labor among you. That phrase labor is to the point of weariness, exhaustion, or even discouragement. They are supposed to be over you, a responsibility to watch, guide, guard, and care for to the best of their ability. Their responsibility is to admonish you. The term admonish there means to warn, to instruct. It is to give instruction with regard to belief, and behavior. That's what they've got to be about. And when they're about that, that needs to be taken notice of. And they need to be remembered, considered, encouraged. The, one of the, the things that I think is helpful in this, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, it's a, there's a wonderful little verse. What does that verse say? 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. Brothers, pray for us. That little statement is something that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, you know what Paul says there? Brothers, pray for us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, pray for your leaders. So, when it, esteem them highly, regard them, that isn't put them on a pedestal, uh, you know, and always put important titles before their name, like reverend or pastor or whatever it may No, it, it, that's not esteeming them highly. You can use all kinds of fancy catchphrases before a person's name and still not think highly of them. Appreciate their labor, encourage their labor, pray for them. No, it's not easy. No, it's a high calling and responsibility. Come alongside of them. Bless them and encourage them. Now we move on from appropriate regard to those in specific responsibilities and leadership to what I would call active responsibilities. It's our third thought for today and that runs really th through verses 13, 14, and 15. Look at these active responsibilities. He just begins to... Um, like bullet list, things believers are supposed to do, things that ought to characterize us. Now, the list goes beyond the verses that I'm addressing today. 
I've stopped at the ones that we're addressing today because these particular ones are ones that all reflect or all tie into how we act towards one another. Because uh, it's important for us to think of this. Too often, we think of the commands of God in the bounds of morality. Fornication, don't. Adultery, don't. Lying, murder, don't. And we're not here to change that. That remains. But the, the commands, the instructions, the urgings, the imperatives are beyond just the things of the moral. Many of them are, are what I might characterize have a key place in what would be called the, what I might call the social-spiritual, if we can combine those things together. The community of the saints as they engage one another. The life that we have together ought be more than, so how's the family? Doing good? Okay, great. Yeah. How are the kids? Um, no. How's the health? Uh, might storm this week. How's that team doing? Not that it's wicked for us to talk about that, but is that it? Is that all we've got? I, I fear that happening, and, and I fear we live more and more in, in a... In a scenario and, and in a growing cultural environment where that's where people are comfortable yeah ask me about my kids and ask me about the weather and all that but you know I, you're there i'm here you know if if you really want to communicate with me send a text but we're not going to be a part of each other's lives are we i mean that's messy and takes time and energy, and we need to use that for television. And we need to use that. Does that make any sense? No. Look what it, let me begin to unfold these. The first thing it says is this be at peace among yourselves. I wish it carried a stronger sense because the phrase be at peace, it, it, it keeps, it has sort of a twofold sense. Keep peaceful and promote peace is the sense of it. be at peace among yourselves just seems like all right everybody breathe in breathe out be at peace with the universe that's not what this is saying this isn't some strange separate be at peace this is this is in the real messiness of interactions with people boy that was a that was a short answer well, that was kind of a rude glance. Well, that was, you know, I don't, I don't think they like me. You ever heard people say that? You ever thought that? Here's the reality. You might be right. They might not like you. I mean, this is the way the world works. They may be judging your dress, your hair, your, your face. You're, they may be doing that. That's the way that the world works. How do you respond to that? I think they think little of me, which proves how little they're worth. So, whatever. I will talk to other people. I won't yeah, move on. 
be at peace means you, you are looking to live engagingly, peaceably, and promote peace. If someone has some wrong idea, some negativity, some notion, off your back. Don't carry it. All right. What I've taken as a harsh judgment against me might actually be they're having a horrible day. They got, they got word of a, of, a, of a sick relative. They're having trouble with, with a rebellious son. They're having, whatever the list may be, we don't know everything that's going on in people's lives. And somehow we often think, you know what the most important thing in their life ought to be? How they interact with me. I mean, don't they know that's the most important thing? How they interact with Is it? It's not. But what I'm urging you is this. Try to make an important thing to you how you interact with others. <laughs> Consider them. You know? Yeah, you come with problems. You know who else comes with problems? <laughs> Everybody. You come with needs. You know who else comes with needs? Everyone. So when you're coming, is your, is your coming... So that my needs will be met. So that people will show me love. So that people will show me care. So many people, I've even heard this, have visited churches or this and that. They, they've gone out and they, you know, I just didn't feel welcomed or I didn't feel love. I didn't feel cared for. Well, I, here's my question. Did you go in there and did you love people? Did you go in there and you try to make people feel loved? Try to make people feel welcome? Try to be cared? Are you standing there and waiting for the entire universe to orbit around you? Or are you saying, God has put me here. Look at all of these people that I can, in a sense, speak peace into their life. Because the idea grows even. Not only in uh, be at peace among yourselves, that keeping peace and promoting peace, but it goes on. Now, who is who is responsible to do this? We ask you, brothers. Now, what? Who admonishes the idol? Who do we normally think has to do that job? And what's uncomfortable is this: it's more than just the idol. The translation here it says idol because it's in the context of ultimately. By the time we get to Second Thessalonians, if someone will not work, they should not eat. But the term that's translated idol is much broader than that. It is a term for admonish those who are unruly, indisciplined. Those who shirk their responsibilities. Now, if someone is shirking their responsibility to labor, work, and provide for their family, they will be idle or lazy. But the term is used in a much broader and much more significant way than that. Admonish those who are. So there is a work of admonishing that is done by the leaders. But there is a work of admonishing that is to be done by the saints. Go to those who are evading their responsibility. Who are living undisciplined lives. Actually the, the King James and the New American Standard there say. Admonish the unruly. As opposed to, so if someone is idle, are they unruly? 
Yes, they're not meeting the responsibilities that they ought to meet. But what I'm saying is this, and I often say this when we go back and we see God has appointed uh, in the church apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I often stir this up. What is the pastor's role to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? So who's in ministry? Everyone. And so generally speaking, do we ever come to one another and, and, and look each other in the eye lovingly and say, how's your ministry going? And I fear in the Christian context too often, if you were to say that to someone, how's your ministry going? Oh, I'm not in ministry. I'm not, I, I, I work here. I do this. Wait, wait. What do you mean you're not in ministry? You're a saint. We, we all are given this wonderful privilege, responsibility, and duty to serve the Lord. Now, I know this is uncomfortable because on one side, people say, oh, don't tell me it's my duty. Don't tell me it's my responsibility. I'm gonna. While at the same time saying, it is a tremendous privilege because we get to be, as the scriptures regularly refer to it, co-workers with God. As God works in the lives of his people, he works through the ministry of the preached word as the saints gather. You know how else he works among us? Through our interaction as we admonish the saints. Paul actually even will say at times, I was comforted by the coming of Timothy. God is the God of all comfort, but God brought him comfort through the means of a man. God is the God of salvation. God saves. But he brings salvation through what? The message delivered by men. So we have this wonderful privilege and this wonderful role. And it says these active responsibilities. Be at peace. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Rouse their strength, those who are discouraged, those who are despondent. Help the weak. Hold, cling to, hold fast. Those who are struggling and without strength. The end of verse 14. Be patient with all of them. That is the idea of forbearance. Forbearance is a forgotten word in our society. It's not even in our vocabulary hardly anymore, is it? But this is the idea is we, I've, I've tried to make inroads with this person. I've tried to do what is right. I've tried to set the path. And what do we then tend to say at that? I'm done with them. <laughs> it's not working. You know, I was at the end of my rope six months ago. So now I'm just going to use that rope, tie it into a noose, string them up. Now, nobody hopefully says that, but the idea is I'm, I'm washing my hands. As much as is possible for you, be at peace. What, if we go back to the uh, book of Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall have peace. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall find mercy. Remember this, for some of us and for some of those we love, how long did we rebel against God? How long did we continue in our sin? Since he saved us. Do you continue to sin? 
Do you continue to disappoint him? Do you continue to do things that offend him? That same kind of, that same supposed study that I was reading today by those men said that the average American lies 23 times a day. I think, what? Uh, you know, I'm glad I don't know any average Americans because that sounds just crazy numbers to me. But where there, there just becomes this complacency. And we start to think, you know what, if, if my brothers and sisters aren't sinning overtly in a way that, that, that I'm forced to address their sin, I'm not going to get involved in their life and, and see if they're struggling. See if they need help. See if they need encouragement. See, see if they need prayer. I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't want to step on their toes. That shouldn't happen. The, 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 the church shouldn't, shouldn't be like that. It should be a place of love. It should be a place where we can look at, look at each other and say, how are things? How's your ministry? How's your life? Are you doing okay? Do you find yourself growing or do you find yourself struggling? What are the things that are going on in your life? You know, genuine stuff where we know each other and we love each other. And that life continues. It really, it, it, the last one ends, it, it, verse 15. Always seek to do good to one another. That's a strong phrase, isn't it? Always seek to do good to one another. All of these things, when we talk about uh, uh, patience, help, encouragement, see that no one repays evil for evil, always seek to do good, all of these phrases, they really come back to what we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8 says, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. I often say this, how many, I, I wish that God would so stir us up that we would say to ourselves, I'm coming to gather with the saints. This, this is an occasion where I get to come alongside the weak. Where I get to come alongside the hurting. When I get to come alongside my brothers and encourage them, admonish them. I get to, in the midst of their pains and the overflow of their pains, I get to show patience towards them. I, I get to express love. This is happening. This, but I ask us, how many times we're, as we admonish one another all the more as we see the day drawing near? That is Hebrews chapter 10. How many ch people come to church with an intent? I'm going to look for people to encourage. I'm going to look for people to, to, to bless. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to see, prayerfully be able to find who needs a word of encouragement. Or how many of us have the tendency, I'm going because I ought to go. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. I'm going to be biblical. And then I'm going to go home and be moral. Brothers and sisters, I'm just saying, there's more. There's deeper. There's richer. There's more powerful and there's more profound. It says... In, in Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Think of others when we're here. 
have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to becoming obedient on the cross. Well, if I put myself out there, I might get shot down. Well, if I try to get involved in somebody's lives, they might tell me, keep to yourself. Well, so what are you protecting by not doing it? Your sensitivities. But what are you not doing by not doing it? Honoring God. And being of use in the life of your brothers and sisters. Is it easy? Do we live in a society where people often go around saying... I'm really discouraged. Things are going really bad right now. No, we live in a, in a, a society where it's like, hey, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? Good. And that's the, that's the extent of it. You know, I, I've noticed from time to time, I'll get a call by someone related to some particular business, and they would say, uh, how you doing? I would say reasonable, you know, but, you know, things may get better. Oh, and they don't know how to respond because how dare you say anything other than fine so that I can ignore you, right? And not that we want to, to, to be people who are moping around and woe is me, but we share each other's joy. When someone grieves, we grieve together. When someone celebrates, we celebrate together. What if, what if the saints did life together? And it was all about Christ. It was all about his glory in every facet and aspect of our life. And we came together more than everything considering and esteeming him. More than ourselves considering and esteeming one another. And wanting to be a, love, a blessing in the lives of the saints. And then what we would find is, as, the, as Christ tells us, it is more blessed to give than receive. And the person who, who, who lives in that way finds themselves in a far more fulfilled state than the person who's shopping around for enough attentiveness to me. I can't tell you how many, how many times I've talked to people and, and, and they've, in different places and they've said... You know, I, I, I went to church and, and nobody said hi to me today. Nobody greeted me today. And, it's, and I tried to sweetly respond back, how many people did you say hi to? Who might have also been feeling a little sensitive, a little shy, a little hurting, a little in need, a little weak. How many people did you come along? Well... I had a bad week, probably not the only one. Discouragement often comes when, when our lives have devolved to self-living. <laughs> Glory of Christ, the good of his people. And I've got to go one step further in closing. It says this, the, see, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The priority is the household of God. But you know what? It's not just them. If you see other people in need, you help those in need. You see other people who are wavering and flagging and struggling, you come alongside them as well. 
wait a second. If I'm doing all of this for God and all of this for God's people, and I, then where, where is the time for me? Where is the me time? Okay, you don't need it. You don't need it. Me time just, it just stirs up the selfishness. It stirs up the sense of inadequacy. If God was, were to somehow help us to, to live in that way where we're always considering others better than ourselves, always looking to, for, for someone in need, Always looking, is there someone that I can help? Is there someone I can be encouraged? Who looks hurt? Who looks struggling? Who looks happy? I want to find out what they're happy about and share in that too. doesn't always have to be the darker side. So simple thoughts today were, were only this. The scripture is filled with one authoritative request. It is the truth and it is to be preeminent in the churches. It is to be our passion. Mind, heart, soul, everything. The scriptures are not mere suggestions and what it says is true and to be taken as such. Secondly, appropriate regard. One, I guess I could say in that, those who are pastors or have leadership need to have appropriate regard for what has been entrusted to them. To labor hard, to admonish, to provide watch care over the souls, to do it with earnestness and with genuineness and sincerity and integrity. And then the saints also because of that labor, not because of that title, not because of that position, but because of their work are to esteem them very highly, recognizing the struggle, the weight of being a watch care over other souls, more prone uh, to heavy heartedness and discouragement and struggle. Pray for us. So appropriate regard. And thirdly, active responsibilities. God has called us. And in this context, the active responsibilities are for me and you to be active in the lives of one another for good, for godly good, for the name of Christ. And then even beyond the bounds of those who claim the name of Christ, when we see a need, we stretch out our hands. Because God has given us hands to stretch out. Let me pray. Lord, as always, when we take up and open your word, and every time I unfold a passage of your scripture, I sense our own inadequacy to live out these things perfectly. I sense my own inadequacy to, to convey them with, with enough urgency and vigor, Lord, uh, to be able to to convey and to persuade these things. Lord, I so desire that as we would hear the things that we've heard today, all of us, that we wouldn't simply give a nod to them, that those are good notions and those are, those are right things and that would please God, but that you would move us further to live this out, to really, not just in word, but in deed, in life, to love one another, that Christ would be known among us, he would be glorified within us and exemplified to the world around us. God, we thank you for the time that we could spend in your word, for the ability and privilege of drawing near to you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.